Welcome back, everybody. I'm your host, Austin, and this is another episode of The Prepared Mindset. We're fully into December at this point, you guys. Holiday season is in full swing. Christmas music, Christmas lights everywhere. And what would the holiday season be without Chuck Schumer announcing he's putting three major pieces of gun control out onto the Senate floor this week? Um, if you guys haven't really been paying attention to that kind of thing, uh, he, tw- I think he tweeted about it or whatever we used to call Twitter. Uh, he put that out into the world. And, you know, of course there was that, uh, ever present pandering to people who are too stupid to know better, uh, indicating that he was there and, and, and helping 30 years ago when they passed the original assault weapons ban from 94 to 2004, uh, what he omits, or I guess just chooses not to mention is that that was not renewed and it was not renewed because our lawmakers through our governmental process <laughs> determined that it, there really wasn't a noticeable reduction in violent crime or gun violence when they passed the assault weapons ban it essentially didn't do anything it kind of just held things level and under the the scope of that legislation it was actually supposed to improve the situation uh and really all it impacts just like with most restrictive gun control is uh law-abiding citizens like you and I that are listening to, uh, you guys are listening to this podcast, me that's recording it, you know, we, we follow the laws, we may not agree with all of them, but like we say here on the pod all the time, you have to play the game to win the game. So you kind of got to take it, you know, one day at a time, step by step, and make sure you're you're staying within the bounds and you work to contact your uh, political representatives uh, at the state level, the local level, the, the federal level, right? Your senators. This is the time, you know, uh, I know everyone's kind of busy right now and it's easy to get things lost in the sauce. I, I, I deal with that in my home life, dealt with a really big issue today. Uh, in fact, my home life with just things getting lost in the shuffle and some poor communication and, and it happens. I get it. But <clears throat> if you guys are trying to prioritize and I don't want to say this is more important than something else this time of year, because that's that's not the case. There's so much going on. But take the time and call your elected representative. Send them an email. These, uh, they just had, there was something else I, I read online, right, about these uh, pre-populated messages where people, you know, you just re- respond to the email and it, it, tr- it sends you over, it links you over to a petition with a pre-written message and you just, you know, you put in your first and last name and your email address and hit submit. And while you know, federal agencies don't don't specifically go off of the number of pre-written comments, but and that's a good thing, right? Because if that were the case, then these uh, anti-gun groups like Giffords and stuff could just, you know, basically pay off these pay off server farms to just spam these messages to places like the ATF and the government and whatnot. Um, but take take some time, like take twenty minutes out of your day and send a well-worded email. And don't be rude, uh, but reach out to your elected representatives at all levels. And you can ask questions. You can make your opinions and your thoughts known. You can even do something crazy like cite some statistics and you know provide your sources and, and things like that uh, to help try and sway these elected leaders. They are supposed to be our voices after all. And you are the ones that keep them in office because uh, many of these elected officials, they don't have a four-year term. They, it's, you know, it's two years or maybe it's four. Uh, and they, they need to be hearing from us, especially now. We're talking about three pieces of gun legislation when they think that people are, they're trying to squeeze this in this week before, uh, you know, our government heads home for the holidays, which must be nice to have, you know, a whole like month and a half off and not have to really work because it's the holiday season. I would love to, I would love that. Um, I would also love their, you know, their, their quote, paltry 
salary that they uh, they all get to make, but uh, that's neither here nor there, right? So lots of good stuff going on for the holiday season, and uh, that includes this week's episode. It's really awesome. Get to sit down with Chris Poindexter. Uh, he is our main contact at HRT Tactical Gear. Chris is an awesome, awesome dude. He takes great care of us. HRT has been an amazing partner through the last several months that we've been working together. If you guys have been listening to the pod, you know that we're, we talk about their gear all the time, and they do some amazing stuff. I know they put together a night shoot with Jawless Hog Tactical last month that I sadly wasn't you know able to make it out to but fantastic company with a you know some roots and some beginnings that people may not know about so uh, I've actually been trying to get some time on Chris's calendar for a while now but he's super busy because HRT is doing so much stuff they keep him running non-stop so we'll be getting into that and you know great conversation with Chris really really think you guys are going to enjoy this one this week uh, but before we get over to the discussion as always this is if you guys didn't figure that out from everything I just said. This is a sponsored podcast. <clears throat> we have some really cool partners that we work with in the industry, as well as have some amazing supporters on our Patreon. Guys, head on over to patreon.com forward slash prepared underscore mindset underscore pod. Sign up, support what we're doing here, get access to videos, blogs, uh, downloadable targets, drills, uh, you know, uh, hey, there's there's pod episodes on there that are exclusive, not even like, hey, you get early access, they're exclusive to the Patreon, and there's some really good stuff on there, we had, you know, some discussions uh, with a couple Instagram people, with, uh, you know, the guys over at 100 Concepts, uh, I had a Bourbon and Bullet series that was on there over the summer that we started, and, you know, might be picking up hopefully soon here in the, in the not-too-distant future, but who knows, all kinds of good stuff going on over there and every bit of that support keeps this podcast going you guys it's without without our patrons i don't even know where we would be today to be completely honest with you so head on over check that out sign up and uh throw us some support uh but also have to say huge huge thank yous to the the, you know the companies that make this pod possible and are our sponsors so thank you to custom night vision you guys head on over to customnightvision.com that's their website you can see everything they have going on everything they have in stock. So if you're one of those people you're looking for night vision, or maybe you're hearing this and you're going, man, I'm, I'm going to get some good cash, you know, over Christmas, because that's just what my family does these days. And it might put me over the hump so I can start looking at night vision. But man, I, I wonder if I'm missing out on all the prices and the good sales from Black Friday. You are not. Custom night vision does a fantastic job of offering some of the most affordable prices in the industry. I'm not going to say they're the lowest. I'm not going to say they're the cheapest because they probably aren't. But for the quality that you get, in my experience, it's absolutely outstanding. They have single tube units, right? Monotubes like a PVS-14 or a Tonto housing in green phosphor, white phosphor. They have bino units like 1431 Mark IIs, like the DTNVSs, like the RNVGs. And again, those options are in white phosphor. They have them in green phosphor. They have Elbit tubes. They have Fatanus tubes. They have L3 tubes, if that's what you guys are just really looking for, that top-end unit that you've just been saving for and you're ready to pull the trigger, no pun intended, or, or some pun intended. You guys can head on over to customnightvision.com. You can check out everything they have in stock, and their units are drop-down menu selectable. You can actually see a picture of the tubes you're getting ready to buy before you go ahead and commit those thousands of dollars to a superpower, to an ultra cool capability like being able to see in the dark. And if you guys are already set on night vision, maybe you picked up a used unit on one of the swap groups or something, 
still good. Head on over to the website. You guys can check out the helmets they have from Team Wendy and OpsCore. They have aiming lasers like the Maul from BE Myers. They have the A3 and the D2 from Steiner. They carry optics. They carry lights. Custom Night Vision is your one-stop shop for all things night vision. They will get you guys completely squared away. The chat function, the customer support, it's all tip-top, super top-notch company making a absolutely transparent buying experience. Head on over to customnightvision.com today. Also, huge thank you to today's guest sponsor is HRT Tactical Gear. Like I said, sitting down with Chris, but hrttacticalgear.com. You guys head on over to the website. You can check out all of their gear from the plate carriers. They offer three, the rack, the H-Rack, and the L-Back, which is their most premium carrier. It's what I'm running. Super comfortable, you guys. Definitely, definitely worth looking at. If you're looking for something that maybe gives you a little bit more support, you got a lot of gear you have to carry for work, or maybe you're one of those people that runs with a team of guys when you go out and hit the range and you train, you want something that's just going to spread that load out over your shoulders and your back, and it's not going to give you a bunch of you know hot spots and things, highly recommend the L-Back. You can also check out their arc belts. They have great placards and back panels, all kinds of good stuff and range essentials they've added to the site as well as body armor their AWS weapon light the guys at hrt are absolutely killing the game head on over to hrttacticalgear.com today and pick up some new kit for yourself <clears throat> and last very much have to say thank you to the fellows over at 100 concepts that's garrett pierce and jonah and there's they're fantastic dudes like i talked to jonah not as much as i'd like to but he's a, a great guy i reach out to him for guidance on a lot of different stuff and super proud to say that we partner with 100 concepts you guys their company motto is do good be dangerous live free it's absolutely just badass Head on over to 100concepts.com. You guys can check out all the good stuff they have. They even put together some combo kits that are for sale. They had those that uh, debuted during the Black Friday sales. So if you're getting a scope cap, or a light cap rather, you're also getting a shock collar upgrade kit. And they sell it together so you get the right size for your light for your, you know, your, your light head. If you're running something put together like an Arasaka with a surefire head or some kind of mix and match going on. They also have amazing scrim, their sling hook 2.0 dropped in October. And that's been a big success. You guys head on over to 100concepts.com. Check it all out for yourself. There's a bunch of good stuff over there and you will be supporting an absolutely badass company that's doing badass things. So like I said, this week, I could sit down with Chris. Uh, I don't even know. Uh, at this point of this recording, I'm actually recording what you guys are listening to in advance of our discussion. So I would love to sit here and drop some you know, little nuggets, drop some teasers, give you guys uh, some morsels to salivate over or something like you're not about to listen to it in you know, just a few few moments here. But uh, this is all being pre-recorded. So uh, with that, I'm going to knock it on off. And you guys are jumping on over to my discussion with Chris Poindexter of HRT. Let's do it. Chris, welcome to the podcast, man. I'm so happy to finally be able to like get some time on your calendar. You're busy, man. Um, and I'm glad that you invited me to come on because I really enjoy what you do. You're a good message for the community. And I think that you're also showing people that may not have certain experiences that they can still do things that people don't really think are achievable. And I think you're an inspiration also. Oh, well, that's nice of you to say. That's like really, that's really close to calling me like a role model, which uh, it, it's funny um, only because it makes me like I uh, in my free time, aside from this, I teach high school musicians and um, th- I tell those kids that all the time. Like, hey, I just so you guys know I am not a role model. <laughs> I am here to make you a better drummer. And that is the, where this ends. 
Um, but I appreciate you saying that. That's that's uh, it's good to hear uh, people in the industry that have been around and seen things and done stuff. Uh, you know, have a, a high opinion of of what we're trying to do here and and what we're trying to accomplish. Um, and you know, and like I said, been trying to get you on for a bit. I know HRT is doing. You guys doing all kinds of stuff. Uh, I wasn't actually able to make it out. You know, last month you guys had the the shoot with uh, Jawless Hog, right? That is correct. So November seventeenth, eighteenth. Um, this is something that we had been putting together for probably about five months, I would say. So the first thing was, what are we going to teach? So let's be honest, night vision season pretty much runs from October to about March if you're doing external stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit cold, but, uh, you know, you were on the invite. Unfortunately, you could not attend, but we kind of felt sad about that. We had a small memorial for those. That oh, we it's very kind, very kind. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, it was a really fun time. We had um, quite a few content creators that were able to make it. Some have actually been able to drop their videos. So if, if people are interested, you can feel free to go to YouTube and just search Jawless Hog Tactical. You can kind of get a uh, kind of a review on a lot of the stuff that they were teaching. Um, so HRT was really just kind of the coordinator and the sponsor for that event. And what we really wanted to do was something of like giving back a little bit to those that have helped us out. Um, That was including yourself as well as a few others that we've had a really good relationship with content creators that, you know, they've told us both in front of the camera as well as behind the camera, hey, we really like what you guys are doing. We really enjoy the designs. Uh, we enjoy the the capability to build something that it's not just a carbon copy of what others are doing. And we get that yeah. feedback and they give us some other feedback as well. So it was like, hey, how do we increase their ability to network with others? Because as you're probably aware the fastest way for people to really get out and spread the word is not just one channel. It's getting out and chatting with others that also have that voice. Um, So that was a really good opportunity. And it was also just a good opportunity for Jawless Hog to start transitioning from their classes, doing mostly law enforcement, and then transiting more towards hey, we want to get more into the civilian side. So it was a good tune-up for them. It was a good lessons learned opportunity. Um, feedback on the class was consistently positive, but there was some stuff that we saw internally. It was like, yeah, for a civilian class, it's not that they shouldn't know what the law enforcement side knows. It was more of just, hey, that's a that that's not a crawl, walk, run. That is a walk, yeah. run, sprint. Um, so... On that side, it's been learned. Um, so going forward, it's just going to be something that they can put in that uh, tool belt and just make better classes for the civilian side. Yeah, I was able to check out uh, some of the the review content on it. Um, the guys over at Thinline, uh, at, at Walsh and uh, Jason, I believe it was, yes, um, it was. they were able to make it out and uh, and had a bunch of really, really positive things to say, kind of what you were alluding to there. And, um, and hopefully I get to make it out. Um, you know, if you, in the next event you guys, you know, put together in the future. And, um, <clears throat> it, I actually made it out to, uh, the HTA range day event in pa- uh, Pennsylvania in September. How was that? And, uh, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Um, I actually had 
several comments. I was running the um, the LBAC carrier and uh, had guys make it's, it's funny, like, because a couple of dudes were actual like small business owners, like nylon producers themselves going, oh, man, I really like how square that back panel is. What is that? You know, so you do like, well, it's the, this is the back panel. This is the carrier. Here's the company, you know, and stuff like that. So it is it is kind of cool to to see people in the space kind of get more exposure to what you guys are doing, but then also people that really know like, Hey, how, how do you create something out of nylon? Right. So people know like how much of a pain in the ass it can be to, to prototype and build something that we take. So for granted, like a, like a plate bag, right. And go, wow, I really like how you got that to look, you know, cause I know function's important, but aesthetic is important too. Um, and it was just, a, it, the event was a really cool experience, but it was really cool also to just get uh, positive feedback from folks, uh, you know, seeing me run the gear and, and things like that. So what were the uh, training components that they were doing at that event? So at HTA, um, <clears throat> excuse me, they basically set it up from like, uh, it's almost, it was kind of neat. Um, it was like a menu style. So you could, um, there was a day and a half of training. So they put it together where you could do three, four hour blocks, uh, which is okay, so like all separate uh, instructors and, and content. There were a couple classes that were offered that were, like eight hour. So you could do one class for the first day and then the four hour for the second day. Um, or there were, I think it was just two, maybe three that were offered that were the whole time. So I signed up to take a CQB course through uh, Orion training group. Um, and my buddies that were with me signed up for a day and a half course for maneuver training solutions. Um, there's an intro to small unit, uh, you know, man- maneuver. Um, and then we had one buddy with us that took all three. So he, he, he did like a, pistol red dot course. He did a medical class and then he finished the day with uh, a vehicle combatives class. Um, and because they were the last one, he got to shoot through the windshield and do all that fun stuff. So um, it was a really unique event um, and goes towards a good cause, but yeah, it was, it was really fun. So how did he enjoy his first time shooting out of an unbroken windshield? Because <laughs> the first time you do it and you pop your cherry, it's got a really, really unique effect because one, just all that smoke gets in there and you just have to inhale all that lead and everything. Not that that's a bad thing, you know, because we all need a little cancer. Oh, yeah. It, it, he he loved it. Um, Chance Cooper uh, with GP Armory was the one that put that one on. And uh, Chance is a great guy and a friend of mine. And uh, I, I told him going into it, I was like, hey, my buddy Steve's going to be here like you know, just so you know, and it just happened to be that Steve ended up in the last class and they got to do all that stuff. He loved it. He thought it was amazing. Um, which I mean, how many opportunities do regular folks, you know, civilians get to have access to <laughs> shooting around and through cars? I mean, you can, I know there's classes for it, but it's not the most common thing. You know, a lot of ranges don't want to wheel a jalopy out there for you to shoot the shit out of. Well, I think that's one of the things that I find most interesting is because vehicles are the most vulnerable that you will ever be. And it's one of the things that people get so little training in. And I wish that really wasn't the case. And I get it because it's really hard to set up a class like that. I think you kind of touched on it, which is most private ranges, they get really scared once you start adding those kinetic components to it. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when you start saying, Hey, look, we're going to have two guys side by side and they're going to be maneuvering with pistols. And then you can just see the pucker factor just immediately start to take effect. And they're like, I don't think that's something I want to do. Um, so yeah, anytime you can get vehicle 
defensive training, even vehicle uh, training, learning how to use the A-frames, take advantage of it because there are people out there that do a really good job teaching it, but just having the experience to actually get out there and do it, even if you've got to pay to travel, and if you can find a place that's relatively close by that has a respectable training cadre, seriously, take advantage of it because it's going to probably be, other than inside your own home, the second or third most likely area that if you're going to be in a gunfight, it's probably going to be in. Yeah. And that was one of the things, uh, at least, you know, uh, that, that I was told uh, was one of the things that was touched on in the course was, hey, you're going to you're really vulnerable. It, you have to before you even get there. Right. Like you have to have a plan, maybe not super detailed, but if something happens, what are you to do? If you're if something happens and you're with your family, like what what are you to do? It was it was almost you know, it's almost more about what you're doing uh, before and after than what you're doing in the vehicle, you know, and and that vulnerability component, making it such a bad place to be. Um, and yeah, Steve said he had a great, a great time with it and uh, really learned a ton in just even for, you know, four hours. And it's amazing how much you can compress into a course, even if it's just kind of running it like a clinic, like the opportunity that you guys got to go to. It's mm-hmm. It's really impressive what a lot of companies are able to do in a short period of time. And especially when you keep it on the fundamentals, um, it just makes it more of a learning experience. And it's something that you can take away and you can actually do on your own. Yeah, you probably don't want to be hanging out in the driveway doing that in front of your neighbors. But I mean, hey, if you've got a garage, you can still go through the movements. You can still do a lot of the the training components and try to build those into muscle memory. So yeah, I'm glad you guys got a chance to, to do so many different distinct things. That's, it's one thing that I just wish more people would take advantage of when they had the opportunities. Yeah, it's uh, well, and that's the unfortunate part. I know you guys probably down in Ohio, I think have some more uh, facilities, some more manageable and more accessible facilities. I've, I've heard the Alliance PD ranges, it, it, I mean, at least they, they open it to, to classes more frequently here in Michigan. Um, and I've said this on this podcast a bunch of times because it's still fucking true is it is like a black hole for training up here. I don't know if it's because we're not a pass through state, you know, for commerce and stuff or whatever, but like there's not uh, there's really not uh, many ranges here that host or even have the ability to host. Um, there is one in Ann Arbor that I talk about all the time that tries to get instructors in when they can, but it's they have three like 12 lane indoor shooting uh, bays. So you're only out to 25 yards. So you can do some good rifle and some good pistol stuff, but you're, you're still limited. You're not there. And you know, none of those have like a, you're not going to for safety reasons, obviously have a big rolling steel door where you can roll a car in and roll a car out. You know, it's uh, you kind of just got to like put up some tarps or something in a chair and a table and here uh, pretend you're in a car, uh, you, you know, go for it. <laughs> Well, I mean, sure. I mean, thinking outside of the box is paramount to being able to go from point A to point B if you know your resources are limited, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But even when you start to look at it as, hey, I've only got a 25-yard range. Well, I mean, that's great for a concealed handgun follow-on course because a lot of people, they conceal carry now. There's a lot of states that do have constitutional carry. But I'm not going to say this to be mean, but anytime you go through either CCW, CHL, 
a lot of the training in it, it's more for the legal side. It's not oh, yeah, really it's teaching awful. you how to carry. Yeah, so, it's terrible. <laughs> but I mean, if there's like a good experienced training cadre, that's still more than enough space to get some people to stretch out to ranges that they probably don't shoot regularly. I know that if I go to the indoor range that's not that far away from where I live, most people, 10 yards is about as far as they're going to shoot on their pistols. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, that pistol's got way more capability than what they're actually allowing themselves to do. I mean, 25 yards. Now, this is just my opinion. 25 yards should really be your standard for what your general marksmanship goals should be to be able to keep nine out of 10 of your shots in a good lethal pattern. So, but I mean, yeah, I mean, if they're looking for like the classroom options, there's, I I think there's plenty of opportunities. It's just be a little bit creative with it. Um, The other thing is night vision. It's nice to be able to have those really nice open ranges, especially being outdoors so you can extend that range. But there's also the capability of understanding, you know, just getting through the reps, doing transitions, doing weapons malfunctions, um, being able to transition from night vision, looking under the nods, going into the white light, going into your red dots, being able to activate white light on pistol and go red dot or iron sights that way. So yeah, there's, there's plenty of opportunities, even with a restricted distance, but yeah, there's there's some awesome training opportunities, I think, just even with that limited layout. So, yeah, and, and uh, the range—it's it's, uh, Ann Arbor Arms. I like to plug them whenever I can. They're a bunch of really, really good guys, and they do—they bring in um, uh, companies like uh, like Rune Nation or Achilles Heel have been in there and, and done classes, and they do. Um, they get the lights turned out, and they got glow sticks and like flashing lights <laughs> and stuff. Like they, they, they do. Uh, I will say a pretty, and I've not. I say that not having been able to make it out uh, to a class there for one of those yet, but they do a pretty good job of taking advantage of that space that they have while still, uh, you know, getting a, a, a pretty diverse set of uh, you know, skills and training and opportunities put together in there. Um, but yeah, you're completely right. Uh, it's if you have the space and if the facility uh, hopefully right has a staff or cadre, whatever you know, buzzword people want to use to describe folks that work there, uh, has an open mind to to really allow shooters to have those opportunities and experiences. Um, like you were saying with like the, the, the concealed handgun license, it's like, Oh, it's the liability and the legal piece. We're so concerned. We don't want to teach people how to, you know, fight from a vehicle or fight with a flashlight or fight under night vision. And it's like, well, why not? I mean, it's just, it's the same thing. You're just doing it in the absence or presence of light. I mean, it's not exactly the same thing, but it's, I mean, come on, it, we're we're teaching you how to shoot. At the end of the day, you were teaching somebody how to be safer with a firearm. So one thing that I learned was once HRT became specifically a gear company, we still had access to private land with a range that we helped build on that private range. So I tried to liaise with the owner so that I could set up a couple times a year to go out and do a clinic setup. It wasn't anything crazy. It wasn't anything like, hey, we're going to go over uh, vehicle CQB components. We're not even going to go over this. But it was just a chance for people that I 
at least knew to be safe enough that they weren't going to uh, blow their toes off or shoot somebody else if we sure. were in a parallel line. Um, but it was a chance for them to actually be more kinetic. And the moment that they transitioned from just straight line shooting to being kinetic, it completely opened up the way that they thought about training after that. And they said that every time they went back to an indoor range where uh, I get it, there's a lot of insurance issues related with that. But they were like, yeah, the moment I was able to draw from holster to actually do reloads, move from cover to cover, actually have to think about things, it completely made me rethink the way that I wanted to shoot for the future. And I think that's something that it, it's a simple experience opportunity, but at the grain of the truth, it really comes down to you don't know what you don't know. And even mm -hmm. I, I feel like, you know, I still have to learn something new every year, whether it's trying to get out to somebody that's teaching a class or going to work with the guys from Jawless Hog. Um, it's just picking up something new to add, but then learning how to implement it with follow-on training. And a lot of follow-on training, it's, let's be honest, classes get expensive. It takes up a lot of time, but just having the access or being able to say, hey, look, you know, I can do training inside of my house. It looks stupid. And if you've got a wife and kids, they're going to kind of laugh at you and they're going to be like, oh yeah, dad's LARPing again. Yeah. Um, but you don't really think about it. But then when you, like I said, once that, that canal kind of opens up a little bit and the more information kind of pushes through, it really opens up the opportunities and you start to think, hey, yeah, I can get better. I can do more. I can, I can do things on my own and then yeah. I can refine those skills. So, yeah, so one of the things you mentioned was, uh, was the transition uh, with HRT. So you guys actually started, if I'm correct here, as a training company, not a as a plate carrier and placard and, and belt and all, you know, all the good stuff you guys do today, you actually started off as a training company. Uh, how did, how did that all kind of come to be? And, and how did we end up where, you know, you guys are at today? So the company actually started out as a, a very small training company called high risk training. And it really started to do more with less than lethal. Um, and we had some guys with different skill sets. So we started off small. Uh, this would have been around 2007 when the company really started to push more into training. Oh, wow. Uh, then it was, hey, let's start off small. There, the AR ban ended about three years before that. So you started to see a significant increase in people buying uh, specific systems. Mm -hmm. And the AR-15 was probably the most common at that time. And just sales started to skyrocket. And there were a lot of people that they understood the concepts. I mean, it's a really simple system to operate. It's a safety. You've got a pistol grip. Basically, you get it into your shoulder. You look through either your iron sights. You look through your red dot. Um, so we understood that there was a market for that. It wasn't that we were trying to make a whole bunch of money doing anything on the training side. It was more so just spreading the knowledge. And this was yeah. right around the time, I think, when you started to see your 
celebrity trainers really kind of hit the market. I think it was around 2008, 2009, Travis Haley, Chris Costa. I was just going to say the, the really Magpul with Magpul. Yeah. Um, and then one of the other things that they were training were, like I said, more on the less lethal. Uh, so law enforcement was looking at new things that could be used. Uh, there were a lot of shotgun opportunities that because police were still using shotguns at that point because a lot of them weren't using patrol rifles like you see today. Mm -hmm. So they needed uh, new ideas, ways for uh, to basically get some type of either CS into the house without having to use the 37 millimeter launchers. Um, so there were a lot of companies really coming out with like the ferret rounds that were new and improved. So they were certified to do training on those. The beanbag rounds were really starting to become a major thing. Um, we didn't really get into the taser round. I'm not sure if you're aware of that one. It was a 12 gauge taser round. I thought that was just something that they put in like TVs, TV shows and like movies no, and stuff. I, was, I didn't you know, know that was, was a thing. Yeah, it was actually a thing. Um, but then eventually they started to move into things that they were familiar with. Um, so then they opened it up to the carbine, the pistol, uh, shotgun classes. And then around 2009, um, they started to look at whether or not they were going to stay in business. It wasn't, hey, that they weren't getting classes, but some of the other instructors were not sticking around as much. So if I remember correctly, because I didn't actually join until about 2010. And okay. I started to pick up on the pistol and the carbine and the shotgun courses. And then probably around 2000. 2013, I had to do a, I like to call it a vacation. So I ended up doing contracting work and I went to Afghanistan for about two years off and on, but the company was still there. Um, they were basically still doing a lot more on the pistol and the carbine portions. Then in 2014, I got back from my last trip down range. And when I came back, I started to get more involved with the company again. I never really left. Mm -hmm. It's just that I didn't really have the time when I just wasn't available. So started doing classes. And then around 2016, we started to try to expand again. We wanted to bring in more knowledge, uh, people with a little bit more experience. Uh, so we started bringing in a few people from SWAT uh, to kind of go into more on the tactic side. Uh, there's a, an old saying that I really hold true to heart. And it was the moment you start training or stop training with modern tactics, your skills are perishable to about three years because everything in the tactical side, it's going to change. Nothing oh, is going to stay the same. Yeah. Everything is going to have an expiration life. But on the opposite side of that, um, Shep, one of the, the director of training, he likes to say, and it makes a lot of sense when you hear it out, and I do not want to bunch, butcher this by any means, but it is all tactics work some of the time, but none of the tactics work all of the time. So I think that's a really good piece of wisdom. So you could have a good basic and good fundamental understanding of some of the older tactics. And then you just learn as you go along newer opportunities. 
but never forget the older ones because there are times when they work. So mm-hmm. no, but, I mean, there's always a lot to learn from, from past information. I mean, it, it's, it's one of the things that kills me in our country today. Not, I don't want to take it political, but you know, we, we want to rip down statues and everything. It's like, I mean, I get it sort of, I don't agree with it, but you know, if you forget your past, you're doomed to repeat it. And I see it in corporate America today where, you know, uh, even over five years, right. You, you change a policy, you change a procedure. And then by year four of that five, somebody who wasn't there, you know, four years ago goes, Hey, I got a great idea. Why don't we do it this way? And hopefully you'll have somebody in that meeting that goes, <clears throat> because this is what happens. And this is why it didn't work out the last time. Thanks for playing. Um, and, and I completely agree. There's always going to be the, the circumstance where history is going to be the deciding factor, at least as far as saying, hey, look, I'm going to jump off that. And it, I think that's a great transition because once we decided to move away from the training side, by 2017, the plate carrier market was really, really flooded. I mean, Mm -hmm. people don't really think about the history of it, but yeah, by 2017, most of uh, a lot of the major producers of plate carriers, I mean, they were mainstays for Spear, Spiritus, um, you know, they pretty much were dominant in the market. And we're not saying that we're by any means the dominant force there, but everybody kept telling us, hey, if you guys try to build a plate carrier, you're you're never going to go anywhere. And one thing I like to say is the fastest way to get people to do something is to tell them that they can't do it. So my, our senior partner, I think that drove him more than the rest of us because when he started saying it, I'll be honest, I was kind of on the naysayer side because he's like, Hey, look, I don't want to hurt your feelings. Um, you know, training is kind of stale right now. We're doing okay with it, but it's not where we want it to be. Mm-hmm. Let's do gear. We understand the way the gear works. We understand some of the big issues with it and having a chance to discuss it with some of the partners that had SWAT experiences. And as they were going through a lot of their SWAT schools, they were realizing that 90% of the kit that they were forced to wear, like shoulder pads, groin pads, neck pads, just too much gear. Um, So we wanted to do something a little bit different. We understood where the market was going. Um, But like I said, I just wasn't sold. I had some insight into it and the way that the company was going to go. And then by 2018, uh, the company was discussing a baseline carrier just to get something out there. And we had some ideas for placards um, and that's where the response placard came from. And one of the things that HRT did in the beginning was we didn't say, Hey, we're going for the military or we're going for this group or we're going for that group Um, because we had a lot more experience with people within the law enforcement community. We started looking at it as, Hey, if you're a patrol officer, how much kit, are you truly carrying? And that's when we basically came out with the A-Track, which was, hey, you're probably not going to need massive cummerbunds. You need something that you can get on super quick. You can take off uh, very efficiently. It doesn't take up a lot of space. And then the other thing was, what kind of placard system would probably work for someone in a law enforcement lineup? 
And well, the biggest things that they need are minimal amount of rifle magazines and a minimal amount of pistol magazines. Law enforcement, unless it's like a, a really bad day, don't have sustained gunfights. Usually it's five or six rounds. Usually somebody fires at them and then they get a return volley and then there's no more gunfight. And that's not saying that there aren't extended gunfights that do happen, but for the majority, that's pretty much it. And unfortunately, there are the law enforcement side that they may get hit and, you know, it could mm -hmm. be critical and we just hope for the best on that side. But on the gear design side, it was more, hey, let's look at minimalist. What can a patrol officer use? And that's where, like I said, the response came in. And then it was, well, how many people in the law enforcement industry are still running shotguns? Feels like that number goes down every year. I mean, real realistically, just it's not it's not effective. I have found in my very limited uh, <laughs> experience that it is. And I, I watched a video from like years and years ago and it stuck with me. I think it was twang and bang on YouTube. But he he went to a shotgun class and the guys like all of these you know different methods and how to upload and download and everything. And he described the shotgun as the working man or the thinking man's weapon. Yes. And as soon as I tried doing it with uh, like some 12 gauge snap caps, like four of them or something. Yeah. You really have to think about it is not nearly as forgiving as an AR is. Uh, it, I'm not, it, it probably can be really effective, but I gave up. I was like, Nope, <clears throat> this isn't for me. I'm just going to get an AR. And, and that is true to a certain extent. Like there are still tactical teams. They are still running 12 gauges just simply for the fact that it does open up a more broad capability for breaching. But mm -hmm. at that time, we started to actually do visits with other departments in just our general area. And not all of them had moved over to that patrol rifle component. It was, it was still a good transition within law enforcement. But it was also the opportunity for us to do something that just wasn't the same as everybody else. And that's when we came up with the shotgun placard. And then it was probably 2019. Um, and then we had the first trip to SHOT Show. And right after SHOT Show, the group came together shortly after that. And it was, hey, look, whoever is associated with HRT right now, are you in or are you out? Because we're not completely moving away from the training side, but we need to move forward and we need to move into a direction that we can actually make into a more prosperous business. So at that point, I basically said, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll do what I need to do. Just let me know. Um, and then we started to look at new designs. And then by 2020, that's when we came out with the rack. We kind of went in our own prerogative a little bit. We wanted to do something that wasn't what everyone else is doing. Every other back panel system, it's one full panel. It didn't break it up. So if you wanted to carry extra gear, I mean, that's great. And it's not to toot our own horn, but a lot of the things that we were getting back from the law enforcement agencies that we were working with was, hey, look, can you guys make something lighter, something a little bit easier for us just to take off and add on? Because our missions can be different. In the AM, we could be doing a call out at a person who's basically on meth, and we basically got to use CS to pull him out. So we need less lethal for that. 
And then in the evening, we've got a meth lab that we've got to do a takedown on. And we're not going to be using less lethal on that because we just don't have the ability to get in that close. So we need something that we can change out pretty quickly. So that's when we came up with the idea for using half panels versus the full panels. So I like that idea too, because I, I and I noticed that. And I'm, I don't think you guys are the only ones on the market that are doing it these days that way. But I do know that that to your point, right? Usually you see uh, some, and I'll, I'll just, I'll cite the, like the Haley flat pack or like your guys, uh, Hydromax panel, which is, it's like a, like you said, it's like a, a, a snap on backpack. I mean, that's really what it is. Just a big pouch where you can just shove a bunch of shit in it. And that's good if that's what you need. Right. But having the option to, like you said, uh, stack, you know, Hey, do I need bangers? Do I need, you know, whatever, uh, do I need just a separate GP pouch, right. To just maybe stuff full of med and gauze or, I mean, I, I wouldn't even begin to know what else, but having that, uh, you know, a level of customization. Um, and I know from watching some of the other videos from uh, some of the folks that attended the Jawless Hog event, right? Like uh, I'll, I'll say thin line because I know I've watched their videos a bunch. Um, were very complimentary because of that, uh, that level of, I don't even like the word customization, but I, like it's, it's the, it's utilitarian, right? It is, is situationally functional. You can build it up or build it down to, you know, and that's with both the rack, I think, and the LBAC carrier, right? Um, that use your back panel system. And it's just, it's a small thing because a lot of people on the civilian side, and I know this because there's a lot, for a while, there was like a really big thing to talk about why you don't need a back panel and you just need a backpack. Um, <clears throat> and it's, it, you know, well, it doesn't matter. It's just a back panel. You don't need it. But if you are, you know, now everyone wants to be training with a group of buddies and you should you know, be more capable and stuff, uh, then why wouldn't you want to maximize it? And if you're going to try and maximize that, that training environment and that, that group and that network, that those are the kinds of gear decisions. I think that, that start to become relevant again, when you look at, you know, Hey, my slick carrier is good and a backpack is cool, but a backpack is less ideal in a lot of instances because it creates snag hazards up front and it's not as easy to get to things and, Hey, it accidentally hit my push to talk. And now that's a whole thing. And I'm, you know, all kinds of stuff. But I, I thought your guys uh, approach on the back panel was, it is great. I really like it. And there's, I mean, with everything that you look at, and I know you were bringing up the customization of it, there, there's a positive and a negative to that. Um, and this isn't to talk poorly about others are saying, yeah, you know, the backpack is really the best way to go. Um, it, it's understanding what your capabilities are. And, and I think you brought up the probably one of the more important portions of it is, do you have a tribe? And by saying that, it's, do you have that community that you can trust in a worst case scenario and by worst case scenario, we live in the U.S. Like a lot of the worst case scenarios right now, let's be honest, it's going to be riots going through people's neighborhoods. Um, it could be possible, even worse, a natural disaster. Sure. Um, so what type of assets can you bring to bear to help the community? And if you're working in a team environment, yeah, it's great to be able to have that uh, attached pack onto your plate carrier or to have different panel systems that can be easily switched out. 
it just makes transitioning to that mission a lot easier. Um, but I came from a military background and I hate to say it, the backpack is still probably one of the most important pieces of kit that anyone can ever buy. Um, and, and it's not to take away anything about that uh, or to say, hey, if you don't want to use a backpack, you're an idiot. But the backpack is one of the greatest things ever invented, just because you can make so much kit be put in there, whether it's food, water, medical, or extra clothing, uh, things to keep you dry, things to keep you warm. And the other thing that's nice about it is you can still technically run panels on your back and still carry a backpack as well, because yeah. um, in, in a worst case scenario, I mean, that might be all that you have. And that's why I think you're starting to, what was it, 2019, 2018 timeframe, you really saw kind of the rise of the, of the minimalist layout. Um, and now people are trying to find that happy medium. Like, hey, I don't want to be, you know, the waddling tortoise walking around with so much stuff that I can barely move. But they're, they're really trying, as far as the tactical side, uh, the prepper side, they're trying to figure out what's the minimalist stuff that I need that I can throw the rest of it in a backpack and still be mm -hmm. functional. And that's what you like. That's what the, one of the things that's, that it seems has taken hold probably because of a couple of influencers and things, but uh, you know, like you said, they, there was very, uh, there was a time where it was very popular to have the, just the slim carrier and everything. And then now we kind of ended up, like you said, we're in the middle trying to figure out what works best, but then people are taking these massive, like they're even placards, right? They're, they're chest rigs, but they're clipping in and you're adding all kinds of behind the back straps and systems and suspension systems to carry this expanded, uh, you know, payload of, AR mags and canteens and you know whatever and it's like that's cool and if you need to have that stuff you obviously should but but are you really doing yourself uh you know a service by doing it that way or is it a disservice and you should be in something that's more load bearing more you know load capable and I mean if you're like you said if it's all you have and you're a, a singleton then yeah by all means, strap in your huge chest rig on your play carrier and your backpack or your ruck, whatever, and do what you got to do. Um, but I think for as much, and I, I say this being completely guilty, for as much money as we all spend on gear that we find ways to justify needing, uh, like why not make sure you have something that, that is comfortable and is designed to work in that fashion until something changes anyway? Well, that's where, okay. So most gear companies, and I'm not saying this as anything negative, because let's be honest, if you can make a hundred plus million dollars selling to the army, to the Marine Corps, or you can do Gucci products that are almost exclusively going to be used in JSOC that has a near unlimited budget. And that can mm -hmm. include everything from nylon to night vision to laser aiming devices uh, new types of ammo. I mean, you would be an idiot if you had the capability and the know-how to do it and turn down that opportunity. Unless, you know, you had some type of, hey, I'm a conscientious objector. I completely 100% disagree with what the military does. And there are people out there that kind of go down that path. 
but they usually don't go into the industry that we're talking about. Right. Yeah. So, but yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there, there's people that are thinking five and 10 years ahead. Um, and what a lot of the companies will do is they're going to go out and, and we're not, we're not innocent of this either because we're trying to look ahead at what the next possible common threats are going to be. Um, mm -hmm. So if you look at every year, the DOD puts out a white paper specifically talking about what they do for their strategic stuff. Um, we kind of take a look at that and we can get some feedback on that. And then we can say, hmm, the Maximus is a great placard. How can we make that better without just making a bigger Maximus, right? Um, mm -hmm. How can we make a better chest rig that would be able to fit that, but at the same time, be able to do something that's going to have broad appeal. And that's kind of what you were talking about is, yeah, it's great to make something that has function, but you want a little bit of form to it as well. I, th I, I think it's kind of funny how we let our inner feminists come out when it comes to tactile gear a lot of times, because yeah. it's like, I want that function, but I want it to look sexy. Yeah. It's gotta be in, yeah, we have uh, guys obsess over camo patterns and I mean, and, I, that's me. Like I, I do that too, but yeah, it's gotta, it's gotta have that aesthetic. It's gotta have that appeal. It's gotta have, you know, that, that, that look, otherwise you're, you know, you, I'm going to get made fun of on the internet and I can't have that. So, uh, again, also guilty. So fully acknowledging, like it, we all do it. Um, well, but I mean, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, I'm just curious. Uh, the more that I start to forward think on these things, I'm kind of curious uh, because camo patterns, like what stays in mode, I guess would be the best way to put it. Really, mm -hmm. it all comes down to whatever the military is using. Like if you go back to 2003, well, even before then, and you get into like the DOD camo wars. So the Marines were debating between Tiger Stripe and Digicam. And then you had the Army came out and they said, yeah, we want to try something new. And they spent millions upon millions of dollars coming out with a design that didn't really work. Um, and then the Navy decided, hey, we're going to build this blue digital pattern. So if we fall off a ship, you can't see us. Um, so I, I hate to say it, but maybe we shouldn't allow the DOD to make the decisions on the patterns anymore. Maybe we should just say, hey, look, let's do a public vote instead of letting the DOD pick because it seems like they've made some pretty bad decisions when it came to camo patterns. So I think yeah, it should be that's, that's a, a public statement. vote on that one. So, yeah, I mean, it's because we basically by, by uh, the, the court of public opinion, like you were just saying, right. Like we ended up with, you know, a lot of guys like M81, not me. I hate M81, uh, oh, I love it. but I hate <laughs> it. I just, I can't, uh, so when we went to that event in Pennsylvania, Josh, uh, was telling me he, he, him and his buddy from our national guard here in Michigan went and they were in all, all multicam. Cause that's what they have. And, uh, I apparently like basically almost every other guy in the class was an M81 and a lot, some of it was ill fitting and some of it was not, you know, set up correctly and stuff. And, and that's what you go to classes to learn. But I remember we, uh, we, we rented an RV for the class and he comes back in and he goes, God damn it. I hate M81. 
like no you don't you love that shit he's like i don't like it now i just saw so much i don't even know what i'm gonna do and uh i've never really loved it personally i i like multicam uh i actually prefer ranger green for civilian application um which is about to get really as i understand it about to get harder to to get a hold of so that kind of sucks but I want to interrupt this episode to tell you guys all about our friends over at Ben Franklin Range. Guys, you've heard our episodes, you've heard our discussions, you've heard it mentioned on social media. The facility at Ben Franklin is absolutely top-notch. They're located out in Templeton, Pennsylvania. And guys, this is a one-stop shop. They have 1,200 acres of land. So whether you want to go practice some overlanding and do some off-roading, or you're looking for a facility to host a CQB class, they have a shoot house. You're looking for a place to host a shooting course. They have not one, but two turf ranges. Maybe you want to stretch out, you want to reach out to distance. They have an absolutely outstanding long distance, actually unknown distance range that is available for rent. You guys can head over to their website at benfranklinrange.com for more information, and you can reach out and contact the team there at BFR via email at info at benfranklinrange.com or give them a call. 412-439-8751. Guys, it's an absolutely outstanding facility. Cannot recommend them enough. Now let's get back to this week's discussion. Yeah, I'll I'll be honest. I'll I'll touch on that. Um, As soon as October 7th was pretty much plastered all over the news, there were so many organizations reaching out to any gear company that they had a contact with just saying, Hey, can you overnight this to this location and we're going to get it on a plane and we're going to take it here. Um, And it was very similar. in what was it? uh, 2021 when Ukraine was invaded by Russia. Oh, yep. Yep. Yeah. um, You started having like fortune 500 companies reaching out across the board saying, how many plate carriers can I buy at once? Here's my budget. I need this, this, and this. And then the problem with it was a lot of them were asking for things that we couldn't just turn over on a dime. And that was body armor. So there are, it's not just ITAR restrictions. Uh, So level four plates for those who aren't aware, um, I don't want to, massacre this message but anything at a level four has an itar restriction on it which means it has to go to the state department to get the approval if it's going to be leaving u.s shores if it's a level three or a level three equivalent it only needs a commerce stamp to be exported why that that seems like such an odd distinction like i wish i knew Um, Unfortunately, on the business side, I think that's been one of the biggest factors. And I think that was actually a really interesting discovery for a lot of companies, which is we kind of look at Israel as I wouldn't exactly say near peer. But when we look at a lot of the technology that they use, we would think Mm -hmm. that they would have a really robust ballistic plate. Um, And when you start to look at companies like Agilite, you would think, hey, you know, they do some work here in the U.S., we would think that they would have, you know, that ballistic capability and we're not trying to give away, Hey, the, here's their weaknesses or, you know, here's their critical vulnerabilities, but it was just a really big wake up call when you've got 
hey, I need this many plates and I need it delivered to this location by this time. And you hate to tell them, but it's like, I can't do that because I have to get ITAR approval or I have to get commerce approval. And that takes days, weeks, or even months. Yeah. I mean, nothing the government does moves, uh, <clears throat> moves quickly. Uh, I mean, look at, uh, and I just talked about this on uh, the sit rep episode I just recorded uh, the, the brace ban, you know, for pistol braces with it, everyone knew when that came around that it was not going to make it through. I, I don't know if you didn't, if we didn't know from like, you know, positive, you know, could hundred percent say so, but you know, it's a common use item and things like that. And it took, you know, uh, we're in December now. So November 10 months, 10 and a half, 11 months to work through the, the legal process, which the government is tied up in and everything like it just, it never, it never moves quickly. So for, yeah, I mean, for somebody to reach out to you guys and go, Hey, I need uh, 500 units of, uh, you know, whatever uh, rack plate carrier or something, or, or the body armor, like you were saying, it's like, well, we can do the carrier, the plates we're going to have to talk about. And one is not necessarily useful or helpful without the other so here's what we can do you know it's that, well, that's crazy to hear you want to try to help where you can but unfortunately we still have to follow the rules we understand that they may not be the most just rules they may not be the most common sense rules but um no business wants to be shut down just because they wanted to do the right thing unfortunately um but yeah, there's certain steps that we do have to go through. And the really interesting thing is there was someone that we had sent some gear out to just maybe six months prior to that. Mm -hmm. And uh, he had family in Israel, so he would go over and visit. And the first thing that happens, I hadn't even seen the news that morning, and he's already blowing up my WhatsApp and he's blowing up all these other things. And he's like, bro, I need gear now. And I'm like, I would love to help you, but it would take at least three weeks with the way that everything's going. And at that time, I think they were getting ready to shut down the airport in Tel Aviv. And that's really how a lot of the parcels get moved from country to country is through the airport. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, even if we get this into the shipping system now, one, I can't do the plates like you need, but I can get you so many plate carriers plus this many placards. Um, but yeah, I was just also kind of surprised how much money was being thrown out so quickly. Like a lot of organizations were really pulling in money and pushing it to people that they knew here in the US. And they were saying, hey, look, if you can get this to uh, LaGuardia, in boxes, we can get it on this plane and we can fly it over as, as soon as possible. So we were really, really busy trying to hit those timelines. And uh, that's probably why during our Black Friday event, you didn't see a lot of Ranger Green. But like I said, it was a lot of the similar stuff when Ukraine kicked off. It was like, hey, we need this much in multicam. It's like, we don't have that much in multicam. So they're like, yeah. all right, well, thank you. Have a nice day. We'll Go check out this company instead. I think uh, Condor made a killing. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. Well, I guess when I don't want to say anything bad about Condor, but I mean, I, well, yeah, they probably had a lot of stock. I mean, I know they're, they're a big company. They have been around a long time, but um, 
do do you think we're gonna like are are we really gonna see that that squeeze on like just Ranger Green Cordura and materials and things? Are, are people overreacting? You think, or is that real realistically? Is it gonna be impactful for like civilian purchasers? So I think it depends on the the supply chain that you go through. Um, every company may use a different supply chain. Um, if you're gonna do anything in multicam, it's got to come through Cry. Or it's oh, yeah. got to come through a cry certified printer. So if you're doing multicam black, multicam tropic, multicam arid, or just multicam, it does have to come through there if you want to put the multicam name on it. Um, if you are looking for ranger green, coyote, or black, those are just common colors. So what you're looking for is just whatever fits the standard for what you're looking at. So most of our stuff, it's made out of a 500D Cordura. So there are a significant amount of producers for that. And I think about six months ago, we were noticing that it was getting harder and harder to actually acquire the Ranger Green. Um, but, you know, it's pretty impressive, even though there may be competition within the industry where you may be able to reach out to a peer company and they'll be like, yeah, we're getting our stuff from here. They're usually always in stock. Um, they do a really good job with their products. And then you reach out and you can be like, yeah, I was actually able to acquire more of that material. So, I mean, even though there is the competition, you'd be surprised how many people are actually friends behind the scenes too. So. Yeah, I mean, the the further I get into, I hate to say like the, this industry, because I don't really consider myself part of the industry, more like part of the community, but it, it's crazy. Like, you know, uh, I had uh, Sean from uh, Cloud Defensive on and <clears throat> just hearing like, oh, yeah, we're buddies with the guys at Surefire. We talk to them at all the trade shows and, you know, we talk, we know the dudes at Streamlight and 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 stuff. And it's like, really? You know, I and because you, I, I just, I think because of uh, the internet gun community being as kind of, cannibalistic as it can be right we just yeah. assume that because we want to sit here as individuals sitting here arguing over camo patterns and calibers and what optic height makes the most sense and and dumb shit that the people that are actually making the the products must also hate each other as competitors and it's i mean it's kind of cool to find out that that's not actually the case um and then in a lot of instances you have companies helping each other to develop some of these really really cool uh, product offerings that help advance the market and in turn benefit us as civilians. Well, I mean, there's also the opposite of that where you have two, maybe three companies that they have this spark of an idea and it's around the exact same time. And one company gets it to market just two months before the other two. And then at that point, you've got to kind of just like shelf the idea. And it's like, damn, they just beat just us by wait. two months. And, you know, it's happened to us once or twice in the past. And we just shelved it. And then we kind of looked at what they did. And we just looked at it because the first product that comes out, it's going to get the most attention because it's just going to be the OG. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the better product in the long run. So there are companies, you know, they can leverage that. They can say, hey, look, we had the idea around the same time. Um, and what we really wanted to do is just 
we wanted to be the OG, but our idea on the creative side was different in these areas. What we were looking at, we wanted to go more towards this industry or this type of end user, this type of end customer. And we wanted to concentrate on them where the original producer to get it out to the market first, that may have been a completely different customer base that they were going for. So so let's, if you can, can you talk a little bit, sort of, you know, talk about ideas and developing these things and push them to market. What is that process kind of like, what does that kind of look like on the HRT side of things when you guys have an idea? Is it, I'm assuming the timeline is usually way longer than people imagine. Um, and maybe a good example of that is like, and I don't know how long it took you guys to develop, but like the LBAC, um, because I, I remember looking at HRT and then, and seeing like the rack and the HRAC. And then at some point the LBAC came along and I was like, whoa, this is so different from what the other two look like. How long has this been a thing? You know, and then you go straight to YouTube and you start looking up reviews and you Google and you try to figure it out and everything. Um, so from a development standpoint, what does that kind of entail for you guys? Costly. Um, no, <laughs> aside, uh, really what it details is defining what the purpose of it is and how you're going to make it different from your other products. So with the LBAC, um, it had been a really long time since a company had produced a load-bearing carrier. Um, a carrier with a chassis system more so than just two plate bags connected by shoulder straps and a cummerbund system. Mm-hmm. So we had to go out, research the market, figure out what was already there, and then start looking at weight. So one of the biggest factors is how do you reduce the weight and still keep it comfortable? Um, so I think the LBAC was probably anywhere between nine to 12 months as far as drawing board to actually getting it to launch. Um, because we, tr- because we are a smaller company, we still have to prioritize certain things. Um, and to kind of give a little bit of insight to the way that HRT works, we've got our employees, but we're also a system of partners. So the owners, we make up the partner component of the company. And a lot of times it will be, hey, guys, we're going to have a meeting. We want to create a list of wants. So I think that's the first thing. One, who is your customer? Two, what what problem does this solve? I don't want to be like the Billy Mays and the ShamWow or, hey, we're going to build a new new mop that doesn't get wet and it's going to be the best mop you ever had. No, I mean, it's like, hey, what's the mission specifics that you might be looking for with this kit? So the LBAC was designed to reduce fatigue by creating a more rigid system that is still breathable, but yet malleable to the end user. So it's not going to be something that you feel like you're wearing a suit of armor It still moves with the body. It has flexibility. All right. Well, that's a big, tall order. So let's move on to the next requirement. It's got to interact and it's got to be able to use all of our placard system and it's got to be able to use all of our panel systems. Um, And then you got to come to your next choice. Well, what kind of materials are we going to use with this? Are we going to use 
um, lighter materials or do we want to use something a little bit heavier? Well, if we want to keep it lighter, we need to use the most durable that we can use. And we've always found that the 500D, even though it's not a thousand or a higher uh, count, it is still a very functional, it's a very durable nylon that we've used to great success so far. So I think that's one of the things that we had to figure out was, hey, then we have to get a prototype built. And that is always the hardest part. To get the prototype built, you've got to have somebody that's capable of sewing. So we have one guy at the time who was doing almost all of our prototype sewing. Um, he does really good work, but his stitching is a little bit bad. Um, but at least it gave us something 3D that we could touch, we could show. You can start playing with, yeah. yeah. And the other thing was we got it into being able to test, like what was comfortable about it, what was uncomfortable about it. Um, and then that's probably about two and a half to three months right there, just getting it into the prototype phase. Um, then it comes into what needs to be changed. So you make those changes, you get a list, and you start to figure out a way to do that. So that's about another 30 to 40 days. All right, so now you think you've got a usable system, at least for a baseline. Now you need feedback from the community. Yeah. Now you get to go in and you start to look at, all right, well, we got this feedback based on the shoulders. We got this feedback based on the chassis. How do we fix that? How do we make it better? Um, and then what you're going to do at that point, it sounds kind of sad, but you're going to listen to the majority of the voices on that. Because if you have 15 people here saying, yeah, I want more flexibility on this part um, and I need more rigidity here, but you only have one person over here, you know, you got to go with what the majority are saying on that. Um, but then it starts to turn into we got to make those fixes and those changes. Now we need to get it into durability testing. Um, so at that point, we'll send it out to people to do testing for us. Um, so that means people going out to things like tactical games. That means leveraging to people that we know that might be either with special operations, DOD, law enforcement, because they're going to be using it pretty regularly. Um, and then that still doesn't include the stuff that we do internally, because we want to know what certain situations are going. So we have one guy who's on our partners. He's really big into doing competitions. So uh, whether it's the Patriot games, he's not really big into the tactical games, but the Patriot games was kind of supposed to be that parallel with a similar kind of concept, extremely arduous challenge. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Spending a lot of time mm -hmm. under the kit. Um, as well as other things that he likes to do, plus a lot of range time, getting a chance to go out and train, moving in and out of vehicles. Are there any snag hazards that we're noticing because we might have sent it out to people to give us feedback on, and they may or may not be doing those things. So, but yeah, and then once you get that done, you're probably about nine months to 10 months into it. So you want to do as rigorous of a test as possible to make sure that you know it's going to survive for as long as possible. So then you're going to start doing yeah. your wear and tear components on it. And you're going to start to look for, hey, this has been three months of constant usage. 
I'm starting to see a little bit of tear here. All right, that needs to be reinforced. We need to use a different material. And then finally, it once you get that back, you start to move into the marketing phase. And I think the marketing phase is the really the hardest part of it. Really? I would think that'd oh, be yeah. the easy one, but... No, the, the marketing part really is the hardest because depending on where you want the product to go, you've got to be kind of selective for the first couple that get out. Um, and that's not saying, you know, that people are bad and you don't want to work with them, but you want to get it out to people that you can trust and that you understand that they'll have integrity. Like the first thing that I do, since I have to deal with content creators either requesting or I'll go out and I'll reach out to them. Um, I always say I'm more interested in integrity and honesty. If you want to review this product, I'm not mm -hmm. worried about how much flowery stuff that you want to spit out on the beginning and the end of it, but I want an honest review because if we can't be a thick skin company, we're a small company, but if we can't be thick skinned with the ability to change and make improvements, then we probably don't deserve to be in business. No. And that's, it's, it's something that you would think more, more companies would, would think that way. Um, it, it's, it's funny though, cause it's not, it, it's just not what we find uh, a lot of the times, especially uh, I feel like lately in the, like the, the small optics market and stuff, you see people that they, I mean, they just want to say they want only positive things. And I get that we, you know, we all do, <clears throat> but if you, if you can't, like you said, if you can't handle the honest feedback, like what are you really doing? You know, I mean, um, and I've said that, you know, doing the ad time and stuff in the pod here, like I, when, when you and I first talked and you said, Hey, I'd really recommend checking out the L back. Like it's a great system. Dude, I wasted several hours of my life watching reviews and stuff looking into it. I was so skeptical and I was so uh, kind of intimidated, honestly, because I'd only ever just used a Velcro cummerbund. So and it was like, hey, it's Tigris and it's got cuties everywhere. And it's like all these cut, you can you can size it and everything. And I, I was like, I don't know, man, maybe this is, you know, I think the word I, I was talking to my wife about, I'm like, I feel like this might just be a little bit over-engineered. I don't know that I need all this, you know? And then I got it and, you know, I go to put it together and I was like, okay, like this is, this is different. You know, I'm not used to this, but man, honestly running it, uh, you guys did a, and I'm not just saying this, but like, you guys did a great job with it. I went through that entire, uh, I mean, you know, it's only a day and a half, but went through that entire class, uh, at the, the HTA event, you know, working in the shoot house and everything, carrying the carrier basically from 8 AM till five, five thirty, And then, you know, a handful hours the next day no hot spots. I'm not sitting there, you know, and anybody who's used a, a cheap carrier before knows like that, like, like jiggle you do like to try and readjust your shoulder pads and shit. Cause it doesn't ever sit right or whatever. Um, and it, it, I didn't have that. No weird hot spots, no weird rubbing, nothing came loose. I wasn't sitting there retightening my, you know, re velcroing the cummerbund and it's not, you know, I mean, take it off. You just, you hit the QD. You don't like got to rip this huge thing of Velcro, which is always obnoxious and, Something I actually like about the placards you guys do too is a lot of zippers um, instead of just, you know, that huge panel of Velcro guys are like, oh, you got this big old admin pouch in the front. It's great. I'm like, cool. And everyone's going to know that you're opening it. That's awesome. Like, good shit. Um, but I I love the, the LBAC. I didn't, I was very skeptical. I'll be completely honest. I was like, I don't know if this is right. 
and then I use it. I'm like, no, this is pretty slick. I I enjoy this a lot. It's very comfortable uh, and adjustable. And I'm a big guy. I'm like, this is it's funny. I went to that that event. I uh, got to meet a couple guys I'd met or interacted with on the podcast previously, you know, and I got at least three or four times people go, you know, you're a lot taller in person than I imagined you to be. You know, I'm six, three, I'm like two fifty five to two sixty, you know, so I'm a bigger dude. So some of the, the slim carriers that everyone really loves on, you know, they all look really, really tiny on me. Um, just cause I'm just a big guy and the L and it, it's, it almost feels like you're, you're forcing yourself into a jacket. It's two sizes too small. You know what right. I mean? Um, I don't really get that with the L back. Uh, it, 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 I was actually very surprised, you know, with the sizing and everything. And that's the one thing I will say, people just say, you have to acknowledge, like it takes longer to set up than a normal carrier or, or a traditional carrier. But once you get it, I've not had to mess with it. I've not had to play with it. I've not had to like, well, I got to redo this. It's once it's sized, I got it sized to me. That was done. There was nothing else to do. It, it's been great for me. So, and I think that's one of the things that we have to look at as a company. We understand that everything we build is not going to be for every single person out there. We're going to do things that are going to be different. And we're glad to hear that positive feedback and we're really happy to hear it. And it gives us direction. Um, and when we first started doing the LBAC, I was like, hmm, what exactly are we trying to do here? Because I'd never ran a load-bearing system before. Like the only group that we were able to find that we knew of that had done that was Cry. And that was like back in the 2000, I think it was 2007, 2008, when they came out with one. Um, so we did everything we could to not just be a knockoff of that system. And a lot of the departments that we've had interactions with uh, that have actually purchased the LBAC, we've gotten really good feedback. And who knows, maybe in 2024, you'll see a new plate carrier pop up that's more modernized than the rack or the A-Trek. Um, I'm not saying you will. I'm just saying that that's something that we're really, really pushing towards is we are looking at more modernization, lighter systems. Um, another thing that we're really, really pushing on is I know that you did get a chance to run the arc belt, which is the arc belt. Unfortunately, we had to release it in phases. I think it was uh, 2023, it shot. A lot of people were asking, hey, where's this? Are you guys going to do this? And when we first came up with the design on the ARC and we pushed it out to the community and into the market, we understood that we were not shooting ourselves in the foot, but we wanted to make sure that we had follow-up plans for it. Um, so okay. we got a lot of questions in 2023, which was, hey, what are you guys doing for pouches? What are you guys doing for this? And they were always on the drawing board. Um, so if you're go heading out to shot, I will say this. If you're a lover of the art belt or you're looking for new things, there are going to be things that you will see at shot coming up in January. So. I like, I like the arc system. Uh, I will like full transparency. It's the first two piece belt I've ever used. 
I convinced myself this is so, and this is, I'll call myself stupid. This is the stupidity of some of like the, the civilian uh, side of things is that you like, or at least I do, maybe I'm just crazy. Like you convince yourself that there's just certain things you can never run because it's not what you need. Like my, my whole thing was, I just need a one piece belt because I don't want to ever take off my EDC belt because if I ever have to hurry to put it on, I don't want to have to switch belts. And that's so unrealistic of pretty much any like actual practical application. Like in the event that you would need a belt like that, you're probably not going to be in a hurry. And if you are in a hurry, you're not stopping for that. You're, I mean, maybe you, you throw on your plate carrier, grab your rifle and go, but like, it is not, it's it like, even with a, and that's the thing, like after running, I ran a T-Rex Orion for like three and a half years. And every time I go to put that thing on, I like fight with my my EDC belt and tighten it down and put on the, the overbelt and you got to position everything just right. And then it's like, this takes almost as much time I found, right, as putting on a two-piece belt. Um, and the arc is the one that I, I, you know, obviously started running with and just crazy how, A, convenient it is, B, that it actually, I was I was kind of skeptical. I'm like, is this going to stay in, in place running around and everything? I've had a great experience with it. Um, and that's just the merit, I think, of the two-piece design. Uh, but and even Josh, my my co-host, uh, when he when I brought it out to the range, I go, dude, check, check this out. Here it is. And the inner belt is so light. That Tigris material is I'm honestly kind of shocked we don't see more uh development in the industry with that material for all the the benefits that it it brings. It's so light and durable. You do see some companies play with it. Um, I think you guys have really embraced it and tried to leverage it for everything that it can really offer. So there is a good and a bad with going with Tegris. One, it lightens the load. Uh, The next thing is it adds a little bit of rigidity to whatever it is that you're trying to use for your connecting components. Um, The downside is it is a pain to sew nylon to Tegris. So, um, and a lot of people ask why we didn't move to a full sleeve system. Um, if you actually had a chance to watch, um, Daniel, he is kind of going to start to probably become the new face of HRT just because I get so much on my plate that I don't get to do these fun things like this and come out and actually talk to really fun people like yourself, Austin. So, um, it's, but yeah, um, they specifically asked on one of the interviews that he was doing, why did you guys do what you did? Why is it just a full sleeve? Um, mm-hmm. It's because it is a contoured system. And anytime you do a contoured system, your aesthetics are going to be completely thrown off because it's not just a flat belt. It does have a smiley face kind of setup to it. Um, and a sleeve would have to be sewn in this r- a really weird form and you would probably not re- really be able to attach the sleeve to the core. Engineering design hell to say the least. Um, yeah. So it was like, hey, let's do the two sleeve components and then let's start to introduce the sleeve covers for the rear of the belt. Um, and that was another hard decision, which we needed to get out a quick fix, which um, I think that was really the biggest negative feedback that people had when the belt first came out was one, 
there's just too much exposed tegris. And we're like, touche, we agree. It's This is only phase one. Once phase two and phase three hits, a lot of the tegris is going to be covered. So phase two uh, came out this year, which was the admin pouch, as well as these extra sleeve covers. Uh, phase three, if you're going to shot or you pay attention to a lot of the people that do get a chance to go there and their uh, kind of coverage of the event, those that do stop by our booth, you will be able to see where phase three comes into that. So that's exciting because, you know, I I like it and I, I haven't actually run into those issues. I didn't mind. Um, you know, I picked up a couple of the uh, the small sleeves that you can add on the new ones that are new. Um, and then I because I actually stopped and read the Web page, uh, which more and more people don't do these days. I, I feel like um, you guys have like a little uh, like a tip or, or, or something in the instructions and the product description, like, Hey, run some one wrap through the belt and you can use that to secure things. So like, I just, I have, I have one wrap. Everyone has one wrap used to secure all kinds of shit on gear. So I just took the, you know, like the, right now I have a T-Rex med one pouch, which I, I I haven't played a lot with med pouches. Uh, thankfully, I've never deployed one or really found through practical use that I, I hate one over the other. Um, you know, not in the knock on wood, but uh, <clears throat> I just slid that on and was able to just kind of isolate it by running one wrap. And then that also serves the dual purpose of it secures it to your inner belt. And I was like, well, this is actually, it's actually really neat. You know, you don't have to spend a ton of money on some kind of crazy fix or something. Like it's just, it's one wrap. You just, trim off a piece of it, run it through there. It adheres to itself in the belt. And then that's it. It was almost too simple uh, as I've been really happy with it. Um, like, like I said, the only two piece belt I've run, but I really like it. I've, I've had very good experiences with it. Well, that was always the, one of the design questions at the beginning, which was, look, the inner belt systems that a lot of people use they're great systems. We're not going to knock it because some people it works perfect for them. That's mm -hmm. just the way that they operate. And we say good for you. Um, but a lot of the inner belts were with, for lack of a better word, they just felt old because almost every inner belt that you would get with the two piece system was it, it it's not exactly a knockoff, but they're almost the exact same thing. Like you do have companies that were building a contoured inner belt just so that it kind of distributed the weight a little bit better um, with rigid capabilities on the inside. But we wanted to reduce weight as much as possible. So we decided to do the Tegris internal belt. Um, and I think that's where we started to really see that Tegris had a lot more capabilities than we really wanted to, to really put into the drawing board. But we also don't want to be the company that's like, every time you buy something new from us or we do a new design, it's like, hey, where did they hide the Tegris at on this one? Because, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like I said, it's a great thing for adding some rigidity to it. So if you need it to stand up or you don't want it to fall down, those are great things. But it also gets expensive because you got to have special machines that are going to be able to puncture through that. Um, and regardless of what type of laser cutter you can help smooth the edges a little bit but there's still going to be a little gruffness on your your tegris so um 
I think there's going to be newer materials, say five years down the line, that's going to be easier to cut. It's still going to have that same flexibility and rigidity or rigidity. But what my hope is, is there's going to be a new material that doesn't have that crease possibility because anytime you're dealing with Tegris and you fold it over completely on top of itself, you've got a permanent crease. It's still going to be efficient. It's still going to function. It's going to be able to do everything previously that it was doing before, but it's just going to have that ugly line. And then people are going to be like, ah, the aesthetics on it are off and it's not perfectly at the back. So yeah, that's another downside with Tegris. But again, I think Tegris is going to be seen a lot more. A lot of other companies have been playing with it for a while. It's lighter. It's, uh, anhydrous so it's not going to be absorbing water so if Mm -hmm. you're in a rainy day event um you don't have to worry about throwing massive amounts of puddles through your nylon belt it's going to help reduce that as well so weight's a big factor staying on the body as much as possible but yeah i mean there's always room for us to come up with new ideas uh the the question is how much kit can you keep in your warehouse? But at what point do you get too much kit that you really aren't selling what you're already making? So as a small company, we still have to be cognizant of that. So there are certain designs um, we just don't sell anymore just because they're either too antiquated or they just don't really sell. We keep a minimal amount of those like, uh, Banger pouches. Uh, oh, sure. We, yeah, we had those for a while. They sold pretty good in the beginning, and it was mostly to SWAT teams that had already purchased into either the rack because we didn't have the L back at the time. But it was just one of those things. It's like, yeah, as a company, you do have to be cognizant of what is and isn't selling, and you have to phase out things. And you have to, that's why I say, Internally, your integrity is important. And that also means being honest about the products that are and are not selling. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a reality of business. Uh, and it, it sucks. You know, you probably have some, some people that, that love that product or whatever. It could be anything. Right. And then the day comes, you guys make a press release or some kind of announcement like, hey, we're, we're sunsetting this for a different design and somebody gets, super bent out of shape or something. It's like, well, it, it, you know, it is what it is. There's everyone goes through it. Uh, T-Rex arms retired a holster and people are like, Oh no, but I love running that. I think it was the Raptor or something. I don't even remember. And, uh, people, Oh no, I love that. And like, well, we'll address it. And they released their sidecar 2.0 that, that does what the Raptor, I think, you know, used to and stuff. It, it People, I, I feel like the <clears throat> the consumer community in the two A sector is very, very overreactive uh, on like ninety percent of things. Like that that ten percent, you are appropriately outraged, and the rest of the time, it's just people like fanboys that just get all bothered because it was like their favorite design or something. I it, it's kind of ridiculous. But I kind of respect that because that shows some passion. That shows some. Hey, I've got a little bit of emotion. I'm actually alive and I really, really enjoyed that. Um, versus some portions of the the business and kind of the way that it is, which is, um, yeah, there's a lot of indifference in certain cases. 
so it's nice, you know, when people do enjoy your products and if it's like, Hey, look, we're going to be getting rid of these products. We're going to do a really good sale on it. So if you want an extra one or you want it in a different color, come get it now because once we get rid of this stock, it's done forever. So, I mean, that's nice when you do have, whether it's a loyal following or whether it's a group that just says, Hey, look, you do the best on these placards and we can't find anything better or, Hey, we really love the plate carrier, but your placards aren't for us. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things that people give us the feedback and it gives us the desire to try to build something more functional. And then once you get your function components built in, it's like, hey, now we can look at making it more aesthetic. It's like uh, it's like the Yugo. I don't know if you're too young the, to remember the, the Yugo. The car? <laughs> oh, Talking about the car. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with the Yugo. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe you should <laughs> done a little bit more work on that one. <laughs> well, the Yugo was it. The reason I bring it up is because if you grew up in Eastern Europe under uh, Soviet dominance, well, I mean, the Yugo was kind of the top of the line or else they wouldn't have been exporting it, right? Either that or they really wanted to subvert the U.S. economy at the time by selling us subpar <laughs> cars. Um, but, you know, I've actually had a chance when I was in the military and the few times that I did go to Europe, um, whenever you would stop through Germany, it was always a really interesting opportunity to kind of get the way that people live differently because uh, people that grew up in East Berlin versus West Berlin and the English was there. So it was nice because you communicate. I'm going to be honest. Um, I'm not really big on speaking German just because I don't have the cultural surroundings to immerse myself to learn it. So when I was in the military, I spent a lot of time in Asia, uh, South America, Central America. So I picked up Spanish very quickly. I was able to be conversational in Japanese because... Damn, okay. <laughs> well, I always thought it was, it was proper. If you're going to be a guest, even if you're a military, you're staying on a base there. When you go out in town, I looked at it this way. If there were a place in the U.S. and we were constantly hosting people from a different country and they mm -hmm. wanted to come out on our market, were we going to learn of so many different languages? I get it. English is the international uh, business language. And there is a lot of people in those locations because they want to cater. They want to be able to make money. But I always looked at it as, wouldn't it just be more considerable to actually learn that language? And the other thing that's nice about it is it's also something that's more on the defensive side, because if you get somewhat conversational in it, you're more likely to pick up, hey, there's something bad happening about 10 yards to my right. And they're talking about jumping a bunch of gringos. Maybe we shouldn't go out the door right now. Let's go talk yeah. to the owner. We can go out the back and then we can call, get a cab or an Uber by modern standards. But back in the 90s, it was like, hey, look, hopefully there's a series of cabs and you just jump in and you negotiate once you actually get on your way. So, yeah, fun times running around, you know, doing things like that. But, yeah, I just always thought it was the proper thing to do. Learn languages. It gives you a better understanding into the way that those cultures and societies work. Um Japanese was a fun language. Uh, Spanish, I think it's 
worth putting the time and effort if you have the ability to immerse yourself, because unless you've got a reason to learn those languages, it's probably really not worth learning just because you're not going to encounter it. But my first four years in the military, I, sp I spent three years outside of the country. And then in the second half of it, I spent two years and some change outside of it. Uh, and that was mostly in Central South America. Um, and then when I got to the Middle East, I tried to learn Arabic, but it just it just wasn't something I could just easily pick up. And I think when we were instructed to go through the language courses on it, it just really sounded a lot like Star Wars languages. So, <laughs> I mean, we were you know, probably not the most polite. I felt really bad because when I was working uh, with the Department of State, they had this really nice gentleman who was a Harvard professor that was in Saudi Arabia at the time. And they said, hey, we've paid like $10,000. He's going to be here for three months. Um, he's doing a book. He wanted to do something about Mecca and Medina, but he's going to come down to the consulate and he's going to teach Arabic to whoever wants to learn. So if I remember correctly, I think it's uh, something when you introduce yourself and people would be like, Anawan An Solo. So it's like, my name is Han Solo. <laughs> and it's just, oh boy. Yeah. yeah. He, he was like, yeah, I, I am not going to teach the Marines. We'll stay away from those. We'll do everybody else with the State <laughs> Department, but we are not going to work with the Marines. So yeah. Why, is, do you think that could have gone poorly? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we thought it was going to be, hey, let's create a laughter because, you know, once you can actually get people enjoying it, you get that kind of high energy, you get that positive energy. He didn't take it so much as positive energy. He took it as, uh, hey, you're insulting our culture. Um, so we were like, all right, we'll, we'll calm ourselves. But after the second class, it didn't go any better. So they basically just said, hey, we're going to bring in Salma and she's going to teach her classes. And we were all just like, that's even better because Salma's really, really hot. So, <laughs> And this is coming <laughs> from, you know, a 20 year old. Well, I think I was probably 24 at the time. So it's like, yeah, coming from a 24 year old who's single in the middle of the Middle East, it's just like, hey, that's even better. Right. So. Right. Right. Well, Chris, man, this has been uh outstanding honestly we gotta did we i thought we were just gonna sit here and talk gear the whole time and we touched on so much different shit it, it's been outstanding does it feel like it's been an hour and a half um actually i was actually looking at the clock about two minutes ago and i was like wow it's been 90 minutes this actually yeah. I, it was a blast i i want to say thank you austin especially to those that are listening to this uh thank you guys for tuning in uh please support the prepared mindset these guys are doing what I wish more people would, which is bringing a serious positive message that, hey, it's okay to own firearms. Hey, it's okay to go get training. Hey, it's okay to actually own gear because it's better to be prepared for the worst case scenario and be that warrior in the garden than it is to try to be the gardener in the war. So, No, I appreciate that, man. And uh, yeah, we're... Uh... I, I, it's, it's actually crazy to, to think that this is still what I get to do as like a, a side hustle and like a side hobby and like, like connect with people like you and, and, and talk and just, it, it's, it's really cool. Um, and the fact that it's successful is 
also really cool because I, I I think I told my wife when I started this, you know, I was like, hey, if I make it 10 episodes and I don't have 10 subscribers, I am quitting. Um, I don't really quit, you know, so I, I, I was like, you know, I'll just stick it out. And it's just it's it's been really cool. And working with you guys has been awesome and uh, certainly looking forward to everything that's uh, coming with SHOT Show and, uh, you know, and all that good stuff. But I appreciate you making the time. I know you're you're very busy. Um, but would would love to do this again. Hopefully, you know, somewhere down the line here, we can we can connect again and and do another conversation, and it'd be it'd be great. I would very much enjoy that. And if I can't do it, um, and if Daniel does eventually take over, is kind of doing more of the media stuff, we'd be glad to get him connected with you, and then that way you guys can sit down and have the conversation as well. Awesome. Yeah. No. Um. Well. Hey. If I don't talk to you, you know, have a merry Christmas. And uh, stay safe out there, sir. All right. You too. And to all of your listeners, you guys have a great day. Okay. So really, how many of you guys thought that that conversation was going to go the way that it did? Uh, Not me. Uh, Chris is awesome. But I didn't, I, you know, I try to forecast a little bit and I, I keep, well, I did give up on doing outlines and trying to stick to a very like rigid, uh, list of conversation points when I have guests on because it just isn't really what works for us here at Prepared Mindset. Uh, I generally still have like some things I'm like, you know, hey, I think we're gonna talk about this and this and I bet we can talk about that. And wow. uh, And not in a bad way. You know, it's one of the things that makes doing these podcasts and these discussions so like incredibly rewarding is that you meet people and you learn about them in a very short amount of time and you have these very like intense and I'll say most of the time anyway, intellectual conversations, it's very stimulating. Uh, so it, it was really cool to be able to grab some time with Chris and sit down with him and, and honestly hear about how HRT started. Cause I know a lot of you guys probably know them for what they do today, which is make some really kick-ass gear that a lot of people enjoy. Some people don't and that's okay. Uh, but that they actually had roots going back to 2007, which I mean, <clears throat> I didn't want to like throw that out there at the time, but that's the year I graduated high school was 2007. Uh, and that, that's a long time, you know, to be out there in the world doing stuff. That's, that's just, that shows some serious staying power for not only the, the company name and how it's recognized and things, but clearly a company that's been around that long and went through almost a complete sector of industry change, you know, from being a training company to a nylon manufacturing company, not only nylon manufacturing, but a gear manufacturing company, right? You guys get what I'm saying. And to be successful, right? That's, it's very cool to see. I will, I'll say that much, but I know a lot of people probably just thought that, you know, HRT, the gear company started, you know, a handful of years ago and they've been doing their thing and that's kind of it. And that was kind of all. Uh, and that certainly, certainly is not the case. So really cool to, to hear all of that from Chris and God, we got into so much stuff talking about the impact on, you know, the conflict in Israel has on the American market here for things that civilians want and need and are looking for the difficulties. Cause you know, everyone, not everyone, but lots of people want to say, why don't these companies just go ahead and overnight a bunch of gear out to, you know, other countries to help them in these conflicts, the private, uh, you know, the private military industry here in the U S which is large, right? They could do so much to help. And, there's restrictions there. We got into all that stuff, which I had no idea that we were going to go there. Uh, I just, I personally was just curious, like, Hey, 
<clears throat> or am I going to be able to get any Ranger Green next year? Or am I going to have to like, you know, fork over three times market value because it's just in such high demand because of the conflict? So like always, really good conversations, really cool guests. And this is probably one some of you guys, maybe you guys weren't expecting this. Maybe you guys have no idea who Chris is or what HRT is all about. Hopefully you do now. I think you you do. It was a outstanding conversation. Like really, I, I, we talked for quite a bit after we got done recording and like, I am very much looking forward to being able to chat with Chris again in the future. Uh, just a terrific guy. The company's great. They're outstanding supporters of everything that we do here. You know, he said that a couple times and I can tell you obviously that working with them has been great. Uh, I obviously can't complain. Uh, and I, nor would I want to, you know, it's just, it's all really, really good. There's definitely those partnerships in the industry that leave you with a bit of a bad taste. I have had nothing but, uh, an outstanding time, uh, working with and, and collaborating with the, the team at HRT. So I hope you guys, you know, enjoyed this discussion, maybe learned a few things, um, and were entertained you know, at the end of the day, that's really what it comes down to is you guys are listening to these podcasts to learn and for entertainment. Maybe some of you guys really like it and it's what you listen to at the gym. Uh, Our goal is still, regardless of all those things, just to, you know, give you guys something to come back to. And certainly hearing this, I think there's more meat on the bone, shall we say, uh, and some additional opportunities in the future. And we look forward to, you know, continuing our partnership with HRT and working with them. And if you guys are looking for gear and you're one of those people, you skip through the ad, uh, the ad read section. Every time you start a, an episode, don't do that for one, because that's the ad section and stuff. It's how podcasts like this one basically exist is through ad time. Uh, but B you miss out, man. Like we share a lot of good information on those ad reads and we share a lot of great companies, HRT being one of them. So I hope you guys enjoyed this week's discussion. Have another really, really great guest uh, lined up for next week to really, man, we are just trying to crush the end of the year here and go out with a bang, you know, give you guys some stuff you're really going to enjoy listening to while you're on your end of year PTO that you have to use so you don't lose uh, and stuff that makes you want to come back and, and get more. And as always, you guys, if you have questions, you got comments, shoot us a message on Instagram. We're on YouTube now. You can comment on our YouTube videos and things. Check those out. Give us a subscribe and a like. I think our first video is up. It's already got like 6,000 plays and we're already over 100 subscribers, which isn't really a lot for, I mean, big. uh, (laughs) I was surprised. I'll put it that way. We've had the video up for about four days and we already have, you know, one video with 6,000 plays or 6,000 views, whatever. And over a hundred subscribers. It's really cool that you guys are digging what we're doing. And we're certainly, you know, looking to do more of that as the new year rolls in, but that's all I got for you guys. I am going to wrap it here and uh, just leave you with uh, the same old goodness that we do every week. You guys be safe out there and work hard, train smarter, be prepared. Be prepared.